I'm Josh Wall. And I'm Lexi Cutmore. Frankly, I love movies. Frankly, I love true stories. Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Today, we are continuing in our mini-series In the Real World, where we uh, go through films that are based on a true story. How are you doing today, Lexi? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm living the dream, because today we are going into our uh, sports movie pick uh, for the series. We're going to be talking about I, Tanya from 2017, all about uh, Tanya Harding and the assault on Nancy Kerrigan and her rise through her career as an accomplished figure skater. Why this one for the sports uh, pick? Because sports movies for me are a bit of a uh, blind spot in my uh, in my film watching you know journey. But there's also in in the grand scheme of the you know the biopic and the movie based on a true story, there's so many to choose from. But we both kind of really landed on this one as one that we really love. I mean, we were also talking about like Moneyball, but like why this one? I guess it's the the crime aspect for me personally, because you have, you know, your coming up stories like Eddie the Eagle, where it's very inspiring. And I, I like the tone of this movie. Um, it's not, I guess, typical of sports movies to go in this particular direction. But that's also not the typical case. Most. Yeah, definitely. It is kind of usually they go the route of like the underdog story, almost following like the Rocky template in a way where it's like, oh, an, an unlikely hero trains and goes through many hardships and may not even win the overall like final battle, but wins the hearts of millions right. like, at the end. Whereas this one is taking um, like a true crime element that was widely publicized and everyone uh, is at least somewhat familiar with Tanya Harding and uh, the assault on Nancy Kerrigan. Um, and then, bringing out like new ideas about just bigger themes about like the truth and people's perception of a story. And I think that this one, you know, I I like that it doesn't go the traditional route. You know, Mm -hmm. it isn't just like the Tanya Harding story. You know, they are, while it is, she's the main character. It is clearly trying to say something a bit deeper about the media and how we, perceive stories like this and the people who they really affect do you remember when you first saw this movie i do and i'm glad you brought that up because this is the first movie that had come out at the time that i had met you that you recommended i go see oh right yes yeah it was shortly after i met you at broom that you were like i just saw this you have to see it too Uh and um i was dog sitting for my aunt and I didn't have anything else to do, and it was out on Hulu, and I said, let's give this a shot. <laughs> let's rip it, yeah. I saw it, yeah, in theaters at Broom in uh, in 2017, and was blown away by it, and like was just really struck by how, you know, engaging it was, and how uh, it's it moves so well. It's such a well-paced movie. It's very frenetic, and there's like a very bombastic soundtrack. The performances, you know, are, you know, really exciting um but it felt like you know a different kind of of biopic like we had like we were just talking about um and it was one of my favorites of the year in a year of 2017 where there were so many great movies that came out and this one uh you know didn't necessarily get as much attention in necessarily the award circuit other than Allison Janney and mm-hmm. Margot Robbie who we'll talk about obviously um but going back to this movie like I saw it once at home and then like I I took a break from it until this show to rewatch this. This was my 
third time seeing it, I believe. And like, it's still just like, it's still just rocks. Yeah. Like it's still just like a very like fun kind of rock and roll kind of movie. Um, and not again, just because of the soundtrack, but because it's so like, it, it just fills you with energy right. in a lot of ways, even though you're watching like pretty, you know, obviously like, uh, bad people, but I really like what it does about, you know, how it asks the audience. It asks a lot of the audience, mm-hmm. you know, about like, who do you believe? Who do you trust? Like, what's the real story here? Um, do you find that it still holds up on rewatch? Do you notice new things or is it like just the same? Like, yeah, just a good time. I mean, it's a good time no matter what. But I really focused on the fact that it's told very strongly from two opposing you know, positions. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably the most interesting part of the movie is they take a lot of scenarios that didn't necessarily happen and let you go, do you believe that that happened? You know, uh like the abuse. Uh It's like, who do you want to believe in that instance? And I guess the first time I watched it, I maybe was just doing it more objectively because my knowledge about film has changed a lot since Uh then. Uh Um, But now this time it's interesting to see, like you said, the way that they try to get the audience in and say, you know, what's your interpretation? How do Uh you want to think of this incident yeah and like that intention for films i find more often than not kind of comes in the documentary Mm -hmm. uh realm where like something like like capturing the freedmen's or something where it's like what's the like you know some facts about the story but who do you really believe especially with something you know as as heinous as that crime but yeah this is doing it in a way that because and you know tanya herself says at the end of the movie that she became a punchline and everyone Mm -hmm. knew her that way and she's you know watching david letterman do the top 10 of her and so like everyone knows the name and automatically associates with like her being the one who attacked nancy kerrigan and obviously that's not the case but there are so many other layers to the story and so having that engaging experience of being like oh what do you believe? And I don't think that like a lot of audiences, like while this movie was reviewed like very positively, I feel like a lot of audience members did take it at face value and they were like, oh, we're sympathizing with Tanya and it's supposed to be like, you're supposed to believe her fully. And it's like, well, I mean, yes, you do sympathize with her because her life is clearly portrayed as shitty. But like the movie tells you up front that this is based on, you know, contradictory, totally true quote-unquote true interviews between Jeff Galuli and Tanya Harding so it's like obviously upfront telling you that there is no objective truth it's just the amalgamation of the perspective yeah and you know that is clearly feeding into this idea of you know Tanya's background and being just around people who were totally untrustworthy and obviously like you know if not physically but emotionally abusive and that makes the narrative more rich so i think that what people got caught up in and i mean i read some reviews from uh some critics at the time saying like you know the film purposefully focuses on tanya in this sympathetic way or in this more empathetic way and it makes it feel almost like morally bankrupt in a strange way and that it was a much more straightforward crime and it's like I don't think that is the case. I don't think the film now you can then talk about like the press circuit that this movie then went on and how right. Alice and Janney like and Tanya Harding or and um, and Margot Robbie did a lot of like interviews and brought like Tanya Harding to the Golden Globes. And that is like their position on it and clearly trying to side with her in that aspect. But like 
the movie itself is not is very gray. I think what's different about this is this movie makes you look at what happened from a different perspective than what the media gave. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Because obviously you and I weren't around when this happened. But when I talk to my parents about it, it's always worded as Tanya Harding's attack on Nancy Kerrigan, Uh which was their involvement on her end, probably to some degree, even Uh though she's never outwardly admitted it. Uh But you're now forced to think about everything that was happening around her rather than just saying, you know, it was out of jealousy or Mm -hmm. nervousness for competition or you know, maybe some other theory about what may have been, you know, it's, it's this way of approaching the scenario that I think people may not be necessarily okay with because uh-huh. you can come out as empathetic, but it, like you said, it's all about your own interpretation. Right. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it, it has a lot to do with the fact that you're taking an event that was so quickly, like they, they picked Tanya to be the face of that event because of like her, you know, however large involvement in the event and so because of that it just spiraled from there as opposed to it being like i mean jeff galuli was uh, like you know uh was attributed to it as well and he even says like sebastian stan says in the movie like galuli became a verb but by and large like tanya harding was the name you know and the face to this and so you're automatically you know getting into some dicey waters by just accepting that that is the general perception of this event and then you know bringing it into you know this being released in 2017 in the era of social media and the internet you know there's going to be some kind of uneasy feeling you know watching it but like i think that if you give yourself over to it and really accept like early on that it is trying to not like warp the troop for its own good, but it's clearly trying to show you that there are so many different perspectives and strange stories that are that go along with this event that make it so not cut and dry. If you give yourself yeah. over to that, you're going to have a, a pretty fun time, I think, at oh, least, yeah. you know, because like it's directed so well. It looks great. The performances are off the charts. You know, the soundtrack is very recognizable and uh the script is great. Like, you know, this a lot of people kind of called this like white trash Goodfellas. There's a lot of, you know, uh, carryover between those two films. And again, making it a sports, you know, draw or like, you know, mockumentary kind of thing. It like it, the sports stuff looks good. Mm-hmm. You know, figure skating is like honestly, like objectively kind of cool to watch. Oh, like, yeah. It's so it's so interesting in the way that they filmed the uh, you know, all of the figure skating stuff, like the, all of the cinematography and the directing techniques, are, they all land. So like, even if you don't necessarily agree with the film's position on it, like, I think that you can really get lost in the story. Oh yeah. I was blown out of the water when I found out that they filmed this in 30 days mm-hmm. because you have movies that don't hit the mark yeah that they spend months if not uh-huh. years in production uh-huh. and and it's definitely not like this was thrown together uh-huh. because it doesn't give that visually but you would never guess that a month is what yeah. it took uh-huh no for sure and you know it, it was uh, distributed by neon uh who is kind of one of the more premier uh like indie uh production companies you know they've done like some of the more recent like Palm Door winners like to 10 and like movies that are like very out there, but like have a lot of personality to them. And so because of that, it's like, okay, there's like a good studio backing them, but obviously they're going to have to like 
move to get it done. Right. And so, yeah, to do this in 30 days, like a lot of it is dialogue heavy, but like and you can see that they do a lot of scenes in either one take or minimal coverage. And so that's how they're being like timely about it. But yeah, to have this much personality in a movie and then also, you know, the, they probably spent a lot of time on the figure skating stuff because it's like a mixture of in camera. It's a mixture of doubles. There's green screen. It's like all melding together very yeah. seamlessly. And to do that on such a tight time, you know, constraint is like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of adds to the tension of the movie in a lot of ways. Right. Because there, I mean, were quite a few obstacles for them to have to get through. And one of the things I was thinking about this last time is with the triple axle itself, you see that mm -hmm. you're like, but only... I think six women have actually competed and successfully done it in competition. Uh -huh. And it's like, they're not going to pull people who are doing that. They have Olympics to train for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for the CG to look as good as it did was uh -huh. impressive to me. No, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's like only a couple moments where like you can clearly tell they put like Margot Robbie's face on like someone's like, but especially when she's like spinning really fast, it kind of like looks like it's kind of blurring together and it's like, oh, okay. But other than that, like for the most part, like I know Robbie learned how to skate for this and she, you can clearly see when it is her and she's like really committed and into it. And I mean, you know, Robbie like really gives herself over to this role so wonderfully and it's such a committed performance. Like maybe her best performance to I date. Was going it's to say like that. it's like it's it's really fucking good. Like she, you know, cause she at this point, you know, was really on like just a, a an incredible uptick like after you know riding the high of Wolf of Wall Street and uh coming into this and she has this great quality of bringing you in with her you know she's just one of the most beautiful people like ever and but then she really brings out like this crazy interior she has such great personality but like can really get into like nasty territory and it she does it so well for this because she has to really balance this like the the white trash craziness with the you know wanting to be a star and accepted mentality and it's tough to mix those two right you know those are like kind of on the surface two completely different characters but she's able to do it because you know again she, she's such an audience lover like the like audiences love margot Robbie. everyone yeah. loves margot robbie and, you know, for good reason. I mean, she's a fantastic actress, but she's so just, you know, visually automatically appealing. But then she's like, oh, I'm going to do some crazy shit. Yeah. Just you wait. And so even though she's done that, you know, several times now, like she just most recently did it in Babylon, which is also fantastic. But here it's like, oh, I was not expecting her to do this. Right. You know, and even then with like, you know, she had played Harley Quinn at this point and was like, you know, still going to to do that again but it's still surprising you're just like oh wow she's like that shot where like in the fantasy element where she is hitting nancy and she comes up and the blood's on her face like jesus christ like yeah. <laughs> it's still so strange even though we've seen her do you know things like that before i mean she's just so convincing and it's just so great she's very emotionally compelling uh -huh. as an actress yeah. because i know there will be other instances in this series where we talk about flat performances uh -huh. and i was thinking about it you know, in that scene when she's in the dressing room and she's trying to do her makeup and you can tell that she's just completely thrown off. Probably the best acting she's ever done yeah. like on screen. It, honestly. It's, 
you can see it in her face. I mean, she's crying. There's something mm-hmm. about that watching actors and actresses give over to themselves emotionally uh-huh. that really pulls me in. Definitely. Yeah. And it's great that she can do that without saying anything, anything you know, and she, you know, y- you can see the passion like she has to have this underlying, like clear love of skating, because even though in the interviews that they do with with her, like 40 years later, because, you know, this movie kind of takes on this quote unquote like mockumentary style because there's the there's testimonials from her and Jeff and Bobby Cannavale and uh, Allison Janney and all this throughout and again kind of messing with the truth a little bit but you can see that she didn't really have anything else other than skating like that was it she says she doesn't have an education she never got her GED her parents were a mess to say the least and so this is all she has and you feel that right from the start and People also, you know, the fact that they set up that she that everyone sees that she's good and she has something, you know, she's winning competitions early on. And so you can sell that. And then juxtaposing that with, you know, 40 years later, she's still in this kind of, you know, trailer park setting and um, has this, you know, the the smokers look about her like, oh, what what happened? And you want to like kind of learn more about her. And that like adds another level of. Uh, of empathy but then that like gets you along for the journey where you're just like okay how do we get from here to here where where does this you know go and she her tone and personality in those testimonials like later like the 40 years later section compared to you know when she's a teenager and meeting Jeff and like setting everything up is like completely different and so it's cool to see that you know change of a character arc and be as um I feel as authentic as it could be. Now, obviously, I don't know Tanya Harding, or I haven't <laughs> seen many, like, other than, like, some small interviews. Like, I, I haven't dived deep into who she is, like, just in terms of her, uh, how she presents herself in the media. But, like, as a performance, this is incredibly compelling. I think, you know, something to be said about Tanya Harding in, in general is that if you're thinking about the time when this is happening, she's our age. Mm-hmm. You know, she's in her early 20s which that's a big portion of the whole story is that she had something that at the time no one else had and in that world there's really a limit Mm -hmm. on how your opportunity you know the window in which you can do it is very small and i think margot robbie portrayed that very well in the sense of like there is this impending i need to do it right now because two four years later for the next olympics is she going to be able uh-huh. to do it at yeah. 25, 27? I mean, mm-hmm. it, like you said, there's this emotional, compelling aspect to it that I think is is really shown, you know, of where she would have been at the time. Mm-hmm. Does it, again, lean on the side of feel bad for her? There's this need for empathy? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think that that was very well done. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so kind of continuing on the Margot Robbie train, she was nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. The movie was nominated for two other Academy Awards, including Best Film Editing for Tatiana S. Regal, and then Allison Janney was nominated and then won for Best Supporting Actress. I remember seeing her all along the awards circuit and, like, winning everything, and, I mean, her performance was the one thing that everyone, I think, like, really agreed upon, Uh, and, I mean, she is just, like, phenomenal in this oh, movie yeah. i love allison janney i always have big west wing fan just like anything she's in i love watching her and she's just like another like transformative you know uh performance because like 
the makeup is so good. You know, she's got this kind of so uh, sunken look to her. Um, you know, smokes all the time. Clearly an alcoholic. You know, uh, and this really just brooding mother figure, which again is great for Alice and Janney because she's six foot. She's huge. Yeah, and the fact that she can like just punch down at uh, Tanya so much throughout this movie, but it's also like really funny like i'm sorry no, like, she's so goddamn funny um and like when she's like um don't swear at the kids i didn't swear at the kids you cunt like <laughs> it's just like so many lines like that and i mean she just like she really gives herself over to the look of it like just from the look of like the glasses and hair and again the makeup like you really get her position of being the really overbearing mother character mm-hmm. But she, again, is so fun to watch and she has such a, a great dynamic with Margot Robbie, um, which is is tough to find in this tumultuous relationships like this. And it's just like, wow, they like I believe that they're mother and daughter yeah. and every I mean, Allison Janney is kind of like the scene stealer in this movie in a lot of ways. She's just like, oh, so good. And she does it in a way where you just hate yeah her. she's the worst and, she's and the absolute worst i couldn't help but think to myself um she reminds me of every single parent when mm-hmm. i was doing gymnastics competitions uh-huh, that would yeah. shit talk their kids from the balcony uh-huh, yeah. you know it's just like point your toes god damn it like yeah, that kind of uh-huh. thing you know mm-hmm. just reminds me of every parent who is almost living vicariously through their child uh-huh. you know and yeah. she did that so beautifully mm-hmm. but again it's in a way where it just disgusts you because yeah, uh-huh. she goes to such great lengths to piss tanya off uh-huh. to make her skate better and i like the way that they put in those subtleties mm-hmm. of that guy that was screaming it oh yeah <laughs> and she pays him yeah. yeah well that's the other thing about this movie too is it's so funny and like it plays with tone so well and that like it, it clearly is supposed to be like you know, a black comedy and there are so many good moments of the fact that they're stretching the truth and really twisting the perception of reality that there's so many good moments of humor and, you know, lending itself to that mockumentary style, but also then balancing itself with the good emotional beats, particularly, you know, in the third act, you know, with Tanya and like, um, that's like really hard to do and can be a turnoff for some, you know, for some audiences because it, it does, you know, some movies that can get into the territory of like, haha, this is funny, jokey, and then like really asking you to be like super serious and like that can be jarring and not uh be as like effective or mm-hmm. like an audience member can be like, oh fuck this. Like what what am I supposed to feel? But this it all like really like blends together and like that's just hard to do. And yeah. I was like shocked watching it yesterday. I was just like, this all just like flows really well and like emotionally i'm like so connected to everything because of how like the stakes always feel like super high and like it just it just works like the movie just works like i don't don't know like it just just works for me there's a certain flow about it you know where i think they could have fallen into the formulaic idea of you know there's the beginning where she has so much potential Mm -hmm. and then you could have had you know in the second act like her peak And then Mm -hmm. in the third act, the downfall with Nancy Kerrigan. Mm -hmm. But instead you get the, she has, you know, she has the skill. 
but they don't want her, Mm -hmm. but they take her anyway. Yeah. And then she meets somebody who's seemingly going to treat her better than her mother did. And they have a good start to their relationship. And then they don't, you know, and it's, it always has that up and down constantly throughout it where like you said, if they throw in some humor, you're not thrown off because your emotions are all over the place anyway. Yeah, (laughs) most definitely. It is, uh, the movie is just doing so much which again just adds to the fact that it's so it's clearly having fun and has just like so much energy to it that those changes though they may seem like a bit like quote-unquote like bombastic they just like it flows so well together um because also i think that this is kind of the first time we're bringing this story uh you know into the modern age because again aside from you know the obvious stuff of like Tanya Harding like you know being an Olympic figure skater and people knowing about the Nancy Kerrigan attack and the fact that again she was the face of it modern audiences like you can like it it happened in the 90s right so it was only seen in certain snippets and like you know having the news uh, cycle of just seeing Nancy Kerrigan like just screaming and crying like I was watching my mom yesterday and she remembers that like just like seeing that constantly and so like getting this backstory and having that personal freedom to go into more of like, you know, the rise of her as an athlete and just her as a, as a character in this, in this setting, you know, you're introducing modern audiences to not only this storytelling style, but to this story to begin with. Right. And again, you know, there's, I'd love to talk about like how they, you know, stretch the truth or like bend it for, uh, dramatic purposes but like I think it came out at just like the perfect time yeah you know 2017 was like the the perfect like moment to for this movie to hit theaters and like when I saw it in theaters like the theater was packed like yeah. people were seeing this movie and people were talking about it I mean like it had a budget of 11 million and a box office of like 54 million so like you know while not the biggest like return like still a, a success right so I mean it was just like the perfect a perfect storm of a lot of talent and the right time to tell this story i feel Mm -hmm. i think it's um kind of a a time capsule almost of where we were at in society Mm -hmm. because you know when this came out we're all used to the 24-hour news cycle and if something like that happened now would there be coverage on it absolutely yeah would it be as extensive as it was at that time i don't know Mm -hmm. because you know we're getting into an era of this was the first time that the 24 hour news cycle was introduced. And so they're looking to fill content and you see that, you know, how desperate media outlets were to pick at these people's lives and just insert themselves in any way they could. Yeah. Um, and not only is it that the, that the news cycle is 24 hours, it's like stories that seem like at least somewhat of a big deal, like just kind of come and go so quickly because we're so inundated with, the um the spike of new information and you know new crazy tabloid-esque story not that this is a tabloid story but like you know just you know tanya harding involved in u.s figure skater assault seems like a a a like a a headline that you would like get on like a tuesday and then it would kind of go away and then it would pop back up again. You'd be like, Oh yeah, that thing. Of course. Yeah. Because we're focused on so much other bullshit. Um, so, but this was like, this was a big deal. Like my mom, like vividly remembers seeing all of this and following, you know, the, 
the championships and the Olympics. Like my mom loves watching figure skating uh, and like just remembers just how like just all of this like grabbed people's attention. And then they mention it at the end, you know, the fact that this kind of leads into the OJ trial and the OJ case is what then even grabbed the attention of the public even more. And right. how that was just like everything anybody talked about for, you know, the years that that uh, that that case went on for. But yeah, just bringing this again, modern storytelling techniques of the frenetic energy and the crazy characters like every actor really gets to relish in either makeup or just the physicality or just the the crazy mentality that all of these people have. There's and, not a single stable person in no, this story. No, no, definitely. But that also is like, again, it, it comes out of the time where like we're in the middle of the Netflix documentary, you know, era of like that's what people really want to see. And the crazy characters, I mean, it's obviously like it's before Tiger King, but it's after like making a murderer. Yeah. And the true crime boom is, you know, in full swing. And people love watching just characters that they would never meet in real life or like never thought they would meet in real life on screen in front of them in this very open, vulnerable way. And again, you know, making it this um, crazy mockumentary style, you already get like a lot of interest from, you know, the, the internet age. And so, and you know, I think a lot of modern biopics too, will sometimes take the, the media aspect of like, Oh, we're talking about this story from one journalist's perspective Mm -hmm. or, or like a, a, a fake documentary kind of thing. And sometimes it can feel fake or forced, but like here I feel like it's earned and it works for not only just giving many different, uh, you know, sides of the truth, but also weaving in different styles of storytelling that make you like, Ooh, this is kind of like spicy and fun, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, they had so much content to play off yeah. of too. I mean, because this was so heavily, <clears throat> publicized and followed there's i'm sure hours of footage that everyone had to go through in order to get what they got out of it Mm -hmm. you know the final outcome yeah definitely that kind of gets into this question that i know you wanted to bring up but we should talk about how we kind of research and what like work we uh, do to go into these episodes so like how do you prepare for something like this um, well, you know, obviously sit down, watch the movies, uh-huh. the, the big starting point. I typically, um, will sit there and take notes mm-hmm. throughout the movie at certain points. I don't want to forget. Yeah. And then take those points and look up if I can find interviews or mm-hmm. articles about that and try to just do research to almost insert myself like I was there uh-huh. at the time. Um, because you can watch a film, but it's never going to be exactly what happened. And yeah. especially with something like this, where it all, for the most part, is pretty evidence-based, you need yeah. to have that context. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, watching the movie is the first thing. I always like go in and watch the movie just as the movie first, and then I'll do my research um, after. Uh, for this, it was a lot of... Uh, going down the rabbit hole of, you know, starting with Wikipedia and going through, like, the... Um, the timeline of how everything you know unfolded and and the movie moves other than you know the the framing device of the documentary it like moves pretty linear linearly already so like it was cool to like just read the factual evidence there and then like going through like film reviews and looking up like what people said about this movie at the time from like critics or reviewers that I like 
predominantly listen to mm-hmm. kind of getting like all different sides, at least from both the the factual and the the artistic in and of itself, because, you know, I'm, I'm always talking about how like, you know, a movie is a moment in time. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you watch it, like your whole life comes into a screening with you. So like because this movie was while like very positively received, there were several negative reviews being like this, right. just like, you know, uh, does not work famously. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the oh, okay, J. E. V- uh, Vader for the the uh, Oregonian who uh, was also like covering uh, Har- uh, Tanya Harding as as an athlete was his his review was called I nauseated uh, <laughs> and accused Harding of being an unreprinted felon and habitually truth challenge, adding that this fantasy film is Harding's dream come true. So clearly like for lack of a better term, offended by the the position that this film uh, takes. And so now we're doing this episode, you know, five plus years after this, you know, movie comes out and not really thinking about this case all mm-hmm. that much, like in my daily life, as I think most people would. Like I'm not walking around day to day being like, oh, what's Jeff Galuli doing? Right now? <laughs> you know, like So to go into it almost like blind again and, you know, I haven't seen this movie since 2018 and then to just like relive all of the sequences and there were certain sequences that really stood out to me and some that I had completely forgotten. You know, it recontextualizes everything like just from a base level and then you add in, you know, the research aspect of wanting to kind of understand what the cuz it's it's completely different to watch a movie that even like you know we talked about like something like Selena that movie is also moving fairly linearly. But then when you go and read about it and same with this, reading the facts as they appear, the tone is completely different. You know, the way that something comes off uh, like a quote or like uh, uh, like an article's um, what's the word like contextualization of the event can give you a completely different idea of the same thing. And so that I find to be incredibly helpful, um, but also like revealing of like, oh, this is what we were. This is how this was framed. Uh, and so, you know, this movie also is just trying to get into like a bigger question about the media. And we have a lot with there's a lot of time in the series to talk about the media because, you know, the based on a true story genre loves to talk about how yeah. the media presents information like this while also being a media outlet that is presenting information like this. So it's like, it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, in that sense, but it also like depends on the movie that we're talking about. Some of like, sometimes certain films we have more information on, like just from a personal attachment. Uh, but this was, um, was fun because like, I really love the movie. So like going through and like, I also remember people talking about this at like some point, like my mom referencing it. So going back through and seeing like, how it all unfolded was like, oh, okay, okay, I see. Like putting yourself in that mindset of the 90s. One thing that um, I genuinely enjoy is watching old packages from, you know, different news stations Mm, to mm -hmm. see how they decided to approach the story around Tanya Harding because, you know, obviously this movie takes its own tone, but you kind of need to check yourself and say, okay, this is how they decided to go with it, but how were quote-unquote objective media outlets portraying her Mm -hmm. you know and one from cbs decided that their whole tone was going to be she's a beer drinking cigarette smoking (laughs) hick of a girl and it's like why does that why does that matter yeah Uh you know and i think that kind of 
seeing that gives me the the context of where the skating world was at during the time, mm -hmm. you know, of this certain image that they wanted people to have. But if you don't go out and do that research, then what are you left with? Right. Yeah. Well, this was all happening during uh, the Clinton era. Yeah. So, you know, that is also, you know, an, an added aspect of like the redneck is kind of the villain in, in a way, you know, and, you know, that term took on, you know, so much, you know, new light in, you know, the 2000s. So like whether, you know, she's quote unquote considered white trash or a redneck is open, you know, to interpretation. I'm not trying to cast judgment, but like, that's what the mindset was at the time. It was very much like we valued the pristine still, you know, even though like Clinton was, you know, a very you know, sleazy president in a lot of ways, obviously. I don't think I'm saying not breaking any new ground <laughs> saying that. Whoa, but now. like, um, but that's what like our, our we st we we hadn't gotten into obviously like we the, the Bush era brought all of that like now nah, we're we're fucking we're on top now right yeah. whereas you know before the below the belt kind of uh, redneck and uh, you know the quote unquote white trash it was easier for us or we just like more willingly was like, that's the enemy. There's automatically an image that goes with that. Yeah. And that there is a perceived violence that, uh, is attributed, you know, to that. And so I think that that is where like all of the, you know, kind of putting her image on this scandal and this story, you know, is that's where the inception of it is essentially. I, I was thinking about that too. Um, again, just the, the skating world is this very like clean cut, inherently expensive, yeah, uh -huh. you know, you come from a well-off family. So they talk about a lot in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's told by a judge, you're not what we want. Uh -huh, you're not the image yeah, we're looking uh -huh. for, which to me is so ironic because nowadays it, she does represent a large portion of say the U S population where yeah. it would be more relatable to have that kind of desperate come up of, you know, she has to make all her own outfits because she can't afford them, but the judges mm -hmm. don't like her outfits and she has no options. It's, you would think that nowadays the story would come off much differently. It, it would come off in the almost like the underdog kind of, uh, kind of way as opposed to the outsider, you know what I mean? Like outsider is like, Oh yeah, she shouldn't be here because you know she can't like she's not trying she's not you know the image that they're looking for whereas now it'd be like oh yeah she's coming up from nothing and she's trying to like go for the gold and like really you know come out on top and that again it's like it's technically the same narrative like from a yeah. base level but like the way that the animosity or the positivity is then shaped around it uh, is you know has has all of the effect on the audience and those because uh, like if we were just watching like you as an audience member watching like that cbs you know uh package we obviously have no real evidence to support that it's like oh she's this beer drinking smoking like no good dirty white trash like we have no real evidence of that but because that's a reality you know it's easy to just be like to just trust that and be like okay yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, a lot of this movie, not only did it, it like obviously shed a lot of light on this story in general, but again, along the, the awards circuit, there was a new found trying to appreciate Tanya Harding in a, in a strange way with, again, Allison Janney uh, 
bringing her to the Golden Globes and, you know, acknowledging her and giving her respect when uh, when she wins. And Margot Robbie did and did some interviews with her. And I understand why they did that. But it also is kind of undeniably uncomfortable when you right. kind of when you see that, because it's like, I mean, the again, the movie itself, I, I really don't think is trying to fully take Tanya's side, though it does clearly sympathize with her. But the actors are very much like, we need to bring her back up. And it's like, yes. ah, it's just it feels weird. You know, it's like because it's so gray and like to take it, a stance like it's just it just feels strange. And it is forced. It also is very forced. That's the other thing of like this. I hate to use the term, but like a Hollywood elite, like like Allison Janney or Margot Robbie at this point, you know, they bringing someone like this up. It just feels like what's the real motive here? You know, just is is kind of strange. And I'm not going to say like I have a big problem with it, but just like from a, a personal standpoint, it's like oh, this feels strange. Like, why are we yeah. doing this? Like, I, I, maybe part of it is just embodying yourself into a character you get inherently attached uh-huh yeah and maybe that's part of it True. is you know spending though only 30 days yeah. <laughs> <laughs> portraying herself as tanya harding maybe margot robbie felt connected to her in a certain way yeah they probably and they you know they probably had you know deeper conversations and she has a way better understanding of her than i ever will right. for sure like uh, just objectively and so she you know, knows way more about her than I ever will. And that's that's great. And that like just clearly is going to completely change her opinion and her perception uh, of her. But I'm not there, you know, <laughs> like you can't just bring me to that level by being like. I brought her to the Golden Globes and she's great. You know, I'm not going to get to that level immediately. You know, what yeah. I mean? I'm not going to also take the position of being like, Tanya Hart like she's a criminal damn it like I'm not gonna say that but like it's just I can't get to that level yet like that 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 quickly that they're trying to do it's just and I think most audiences were like oh okay this is what we're doing interesting all right um but that also wasn't that big of a controversy it's just like when you go back and look at it you're like huh that was a choice yeah a decision (laughs) was definitely made there <laughs> yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, I want to get. Uh, let's go do a qu- uh, some more deep dive into the movie because uh, we t- I mean, we talked about Margot Robbie, we talked about Alice and Janney. Continuing along the performance route, the biggest standout for me this time around was Sebastian Stan because I think you know he's playing Jeff Galuli in this, and you know it's hard also not to just think about how unmemorable and mediocre he is in the MCU in my opinion and how he just got completely swept up into that but he's really good in this like he's so good and so crazed but so likable to start you're like oh this guy's kind of a dork and like the fact that his first line in the movie is like do you like food you know (laughs) like is so good and how kind of wormy he is and you do kind of feel their romance to start, like when she goes to when he's fixing his car and she goes to help him. You're like, oh, this is actually kind of sweet. And then he immediately turns into a piece of shit and yeah. just like um, like just instantly is like, oh, fuck this guy. But he's also so compelling yeah. because he is so emotionally just broken and does not know how to process anything, obviously, but is also so stupid, so dumb and makes like. I mean, 
Paul Walter Hauser's character is obviously way stupider, but like Sebastian Stan is just like, what are you doing? What is going on? Like it's he's, but he's just like, he sells that so well. Like I don't see Sebastian Stan here. It's like, oh, he is acting. He is this character and it. Like it works so well. I think the big difference is Paul Walter Hauser. You're like, this guy's a fucking moron from the beginning. uh There's no point where you're like, well, he's kind of endearing. No, he's a jackass and he's Mm -hmm. crazy. But Sebastian Stan gives you this indication. Maybe you could like him. Yeah. Maybe there's hope. Uh-huh. And then the next thing he's just beating the oh, shit yeah. out of somebody. Hit just like five across the eyes all of the time. And not even like um there's no form of hitting that's good, but it's not subtle of like a oh he slapped her and walked away. It's like mm-hmm. he's slamming slamming her into a mirror, yeah. pushing her on the ground, yeah, throwing, punching her throwing, in the face. Throwing groceries at her and shit and it is funny that one thing I kept picking up on is like when she fights back, she just kicks him in the nuts once and just like done. That's it. And that's like so great. Um, and uh, I think like one criticism that people may have of the movie is that like, you know, it, it gets in really quickly with showing the abuse that he is inflicting on her. And there's obviously conflicting accounts uh, of that. But it's something that's present throughout the in- entire movie. Yeah. Right. And it's added as this level of like uh, of an obstacle in the second act that the main character has to then you know go through so it's like oh she throws him out and then she uh you know is on her own and then she goes back with him and then she um you know then he's her manager and then everything's fine again and then the incident happens and everything falls apart and it's like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and i think someone could look at that look at that and say like oh it feels kind of repetitive and it's the same piece of drama happening like so many times in the span of like 50 minutes in the middle chunk of the movie but it's still filmed so well, yeah. and I understand how each instant is different. You know what I mean? Like, first time, it's just, it's like, not just, but it's like, he hits her, and it's like, she's so young. And then you see her reasoning for taking him back, and how that may seem like a good idea, and how it may be like this. Because when she takes him back for just a little bit, everything's okay. Right. And they say, like, everything was okay until the championship or something like that. But it keeps getting worse. Right. And it the it escalates and escalates and escalates. And I understand why she takes him back. And I understand why she like feels in this never ending cycle of just abuse and uh, you know, just this horrible, horrible life. So I think it works like oh, really yeah. well. The line that sticks with me is like, What do you want me to do? I really think you should just I kill yourself. Just kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like an unbelievable way to like end that relationship, essentially, because yeah. that's like the last like time that they spend together other than the the testimonials and the courtroom stuff. But you um, could say that it's, you know, cyclical and repetitive mm. and you know, maybe it's a little overdone, but if you think about it, abusive relationships are just that. Yeah. People tend mm-hmm. to go through these cycles of it's awful and it's hitting and screaming and you know whatever and then they break it off and they get back together and maybe things are good for just a second and then it starts all over again Mm -hmm. so it's very realistic definitely yeah and again it is uh it's another like aspect that adds more stakes to the movie because you know you can have the jokes you can have the dark humor but none of that is funny like right. none of it is portrayed as funny the abuse it's like oh shit like this is and it, it does feel like at points it comes out of nowhere intentionally mm-hmm. like when she's talking about like the dove bars and he throws the groceries at her that's when you're like oh jesus okay now we're back to this yeah back to square one no change you know uh and it or like when he you know when she throws him out and then he goes 
he's like trying to call her and trying to call her and then he goes to the ice rink he's like no fuck you and just walks, yeah. and just walks out <laughs> you know as if he as if he won you know which is again very abusive but is also just this another level of like I don't trust this guy <laughs> in total insanity which again is what makes this movie so you know it, it fun to watch is because you never know what people are going to do yeah because you don't trust anybody and so you never know what someone's motive is you never know what their um their next step is going to be like when Allison Janney shows up at the end in her last scene and tells Tanya like you know I'm proud of you You've held your own you know I'm here for you mm-hmm. you believe it for like a second you're like oh this is strange but then she says like did you do it and that's when you're like, oh, this bitch is lying. Like, you're yeah. like, oh, shit, she's got the recorder. There's no way there was this change, you know? And it's bananas because that's actually what happens. Yeah. You uh-huh. know, I mean, everybody, again, in this is just completely mentally unstable. But what gets me is that the mastermind behind all of this, the puppeteer, if you will, is Sean Eckhart. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Truly, yeah, because it starts off there like, oh, well, we want to you know, uh, send her some death threat letters, uh, and which was kind of the thing about the movie that like, I was not a hundred percent sure on as to like where that came from, because like the, the inciting incident for that part of the movie is that Tanya receives a death threat. Mm -hmm. So then do they say, is there like, I may have missed it. Is there like a moment where they say, they think that Nancy sent it because then they're like, oh, no, we're going to send letters to Nancy and fuck with her. But there's I felt like there was a point missing where they're like, why are we doing this to Nancy if they don't know it was sent to her? Like, it just seemed kind of strange. It, so um, they kind of call back to that at some point where, at least according to the movie, Sean's like, I did it. Right, I sent right, the death threat. Uh-huh. And I think maybe it was initially to be like, everybody's getting these mm, maybe mm-hmm. that was like the tone of what it was going for and that's why they because the, the intention was to send letters to nancy as like psychological warfare right so right, i think uh-huh. maybe that was supposed to be the, the cover is like well tanya got one too i guess so it but that in and of itself doesn't seem super clear to me like i feel like there's just like a scene or some lines of dialogue missing because it's then it's just because when they're trying to orchestrate that and get people in boston to send the letters and they have to pay the thousand dollars and whatever and they have to get the name of the place where ton or where nancy um trains it's like this feels like a a targeted thing and like i mean it is but it doesn't feel like I don't know why they're doing it specifically to her if they're not trying to send them to like a bunch of other people. Now, again, uh, it's tough to find logic in this. Plan. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying from a narrative perspective, mm-hmm. there seems to be like some kind of chunk missing there. Um, but that could that could just be me. And maybe uh, maybe I missed it. It but could be the point. It could also be the point. Because, again, this is all kind of being put together by someone who thinks that he's part of this international espionage organization. Uh So, Mm -hmm. there again, no logic. No, There is no no. logic. Paul Walter Hauser is so great in this. He is, this was kind of his, like, you know, breakout role and then was in Black Klansman and Richard Jewell and Corella, also directed by Craig Gillespie. And he is just... He has just this great look and tone about him that, like, by all accounts, is, like, just the nicest guy and just, like, such a delight to work with. But he plays this 
loser so well, you know, like everything that Tanya says about him in that one scene where she's where he's like, you know, you're a fat loser who still lives at home with his mom and has never gotten laid. You know, he really embodies that sleaze bag so well and then takes it to another height in Black Klansman by being a white supremacist. Right. But like you just want to slap the shit out of this guy. Just like I, I also feel Sebastian Stan's anger and frustration when he's mad about like when the whole incident comes down, he goes over to his house. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like so angry. It's like, yeah, I would be mad about that too. Cause this is, this is the person who I trusted basically my entire livelihood with. And he's the biggest dumbass like ever. And just thinks he knows like everything, everything. and thinks that he has all of the right answers and sees himself as this like God in a strange way. Like when he's in the interview and is like, I've been uh, quoted as a as a uh, counterterrorism expert in uh, some magazines, and that's uh, I, that's what I do. And they're like, "But Sean, you don't." He's like, "But, but, I, but do. I do, yeah." <laughs> Just like this back and forth, and then he cracks, you know, so easily because he has no backbone. That Diane Sawyer interview with actual Sean Eckhart is insane. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, because because he's equally as unhinged in the the sense that he thinks he knows everything uh-huh. he thinks that he has all the strings all yeah. the time so it's like yes it's played up to a degree for the sake of the film but this guy truly yeah i mean the, like the whole espionage everything that's he genuinely thought that he had it all yeah no truly he thought he was like just the hottest shit you know ever. <laughs> it's just and again he's so good because he's got this you know he's got the mustache he's got the lady he always looks sweaty you know body language the body language yeah like carry himself with this kind of like mm, yeah so I, I don't worry man like I, I know what I'm doing and even like when he gets interrogated by uh the uh <laughs> by the FBI it's so funny They're like uh do you know uh Tanya Harding uh, no I don't know uh Tony Harden like <laughs> 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 do you know Nancy Kerrigan uh, no you don't know Nancy Kerrigan oh sorry I thought you said Nancy Herring, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then they're like, Sean, Jeff did it. Like, <laughs> immediate, and he's like, oh boy. He's like so yeah. happy to get that off his chest. <laughs> and the fact, again, he's like, I don't crack. Like, I'll never crack. And then, like, again, they show 24 hours earlier. He was just like, yeah, that was my crew. I knew Telling what, everybody. Everyone he meets. Like, when he's taking the garbage out, he's at a bar. Like, everybody. Like, how did you not expect this to catch up with yeah. you? Yeah. I also wanted to talk about the um, the scene in the Chinese restaurant because oh, that yeah. uh-huh. that is very well done mm-hmm. on both of their ends. The uh-huh. back and forth, uh-huh. like you know, when Sebastian Stan leans over and he was like, "I hope you hear me loud and clear, you fat piece of shit." Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, no, that's great. And he's like doing this like angry, like pointing at him, and Paul Dauser's just like imploding, and you could tell that 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 take went on for much longer and because like Paul Walter Hauser is like about to break down, but they cut it at just the right time because the, you don't need any more. Like right. you don't need to see this guy just sitting there. Cause you don't, you don't want to feel empathy for him. You don't want, you don't give a shit about him and you shouldn't because he's the worst. And, but like, he's just so compelling and convincing and being, you know, quietly vulnerable, you know, and it's the only moment of vulnerability that he shows in the whole movie because yeah. of the rest of the time he's just, Again, this this know-it-all or this supposed know-it-all um, who is just insufferable. Like this 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 attitude that he carries himself with and 
this there is like almost this pompous nature to him because again he's like no these are the top guys so we I gotta keep him I, we gotta send him more money man it's like oh my god why the fuck like he's a loser hang on you know yeah. he's just always I, I wonder what like him and Jeff's like actual like relationship was like before this like how long they were friends and what their dynamic was before this because he just feels like like a, a childhood friend kind of situation yeah. or like a friend from school and he just never moved out of his parents house and always stayed in that like you know like arrested development kind of state yeah you know and it's like oh my god like that like at least gives me at least one percent kind of sympathy for Jeff Galuli and just in that aspect of like oh my god you gotta hang around with this fucking guy <laughs> for for years you're stuck with this guy which is what makes that restaurant scene so satisfying is mm-hmm. because you're watching someone get humbled mm-hmm. basically you know he thinks that he's gonna get away with everything he just did but jeff clearly knew exactly what he was trying to do where he's like they, they're on to us about yeah. what what yeah. Are, you ta- are uh-huh. you trying to say that you were involved with the nancy kerrigan scandal uh-huh. like- yeah and I, I almost feel like does he know that he's wearing a wire or like he's working with the fbi in that scene probably seems like there's an indication uh-huh. yeah because he knows he would give him up right. pretty quickly i bet probably because like he would give sean up pretty quickly too so like and he does yeah so but the performances are all really great one thing i did want to talk about um that there's a couple things that stood out to me of like i'm not really sure where i land on in terms of some structural things with the movie one of them, and it's not even like something that happens like that often in the movie, but I've always had an issue with movies that, because again, this sets up this mockumentary kind of feel. So you have the testimonials that are playing as voiceover throughout. And then you have like a handful of moments where characters also talk to the camera, like during the flashback kind of thing. And yeah. I was like, I don't think you need that. Like, like, I think you could give that information, like still just in voiceover because of the the switch between like Tanya will say a sentence and then halfway through stop it. And then in the interaction that we're seeing in the, in the past, she'll turn to the camera and finish the sentence. And it's like, that's just kind of too showy and not necessary. Like the scene with the shotgun, the scene with the shotgun. She's like, will this never happen? That one's kind of funny, but then there's like other parts where he's like, everything was fine to begin with. And then they're in the car and then she turns to the, uh, then she turns the camera and she's like, and then he beat the living shit out of me. And it's like, I don't know. Like there's no real reason to switch that in my mind. Do you think that's just where we were at cinematically at the time? Well, I think again, this is borrowing a lot from, you know, Goodfellas and a lot of, you know, the auteurist filmmaking of the seventies. And we did have a lot of movies again, like continuing with Martin Scorsese, like the Wolf of Wall Street that blends those two together fairly well. It's like that's the one thing where I feel like they're not really going for it. They're like, oh, let's try it, you know, and yeah. then it that it just doesn't fully get there for me. Like, I just think all of the information that they could have used, you know, in the moments where they break the fourth wall could have either been in the voiceover, in the interviews or just not said well like, it, it is a movie like yeah. when, you know when she's like he's beat the living shit out of me it's like i see that yeah i, I, I did, did, did just witness that yeah i i i'm i'm with you we're on the same page here sweetheart you know it's like i i if, you, if you're gonna do both of those things you really gotta justify it and yeah. you have to like really go in on it and so i don't feel that it's fully going for it to do that and so because of that it kind of feels maybe half-assed is too strong but it doesn't 
feel like a full commitment to me to that. They do drop it by the end of the first act. True. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. again at all in the rest of the movie. Well, there is the the one the one that really does stick out to me as being like, ah, I don't know about this is when in the in the scene with the with in the bar with Jeff and Sean where Jeff like comes out of the bathroom and goes and sits down and they're going to start planning the uh, the attack. He is talking about how they were going to send the letters and he's like kind of catching us up to speed on stuff. And that's when he's talking to the camera and that's like the last time it happens. The one time I actually do like it and it's not even when someone talks to the camera is the last shot when she looks at the camera and smiles like that, I think works. And because that's not giving any more information because that's also just visual, that's fine. But every other scene, it's just like, this is just kind of feeling like it's fading into the background and it's not necessary. So like, that's just me. The other thing is the soundtrack. I think that some songs really work and really do a great job of mainly for the pacing of scenes, move you through and getting the tone and the timing down of the scenes like really well. Like as much as I don't like this song, the use of goodbye stranger mm-hmm. by super tramp is actually really good when Sebastian stands like going through his house and she's left and then you are in the car and driving down the street or 25 to 6 to 4 by Chicago is great. Or um, Devil Woman in the beginning is really great. But this is kind of like a greatest hits album in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like, and maybe just be again in 2023, like all of these songs have been used like a lot in movies, especially Spirit in the Sky. Like I don't want to hear Spirit in the Sky <laughs> in a movie ever again. Like I'm, it's, it's retired. We're re- let's We're retire done. it. Let's get it out of here. We're done, you know. And so sometimes it's just like, what is this really adding to the scene other than it being like a, a cool song that we can get, you know? And again, that adding to the Martin Scorsese aspect of like, you know, having the um the cool crazy needle drops, which Craig Gillespie caught a lot of flack for for um Corella, which he did a few years ago. Um but here it's like I'm kind of 50-50 on it where like sometimes when it works, it like really works. And other times I'm like, because you've gotten another song yeah. for this. Like it just feels flashy for the sake of being flashy. And the movie is flashy, but that's like the one thing where it doesn't fully work for me. I mean, what do you think? It does happen a lot, yeah. I will say. <laughs> but, you know, I was interested to see what Tanya Harding's music choice was competitively. Yeah. Um it's equally as like out of left field kind uh-huh. of I understand why they couldn't go with her choice of songs to kind of replicate even that aspect of it because would Wild Thing and the Jurassic Park theme song really have a place in here? I don't think <laughs> no, so. <laughs> no, definitely not. Like it is kind of all over the place again. Like they do they, they do Devil Woman by Cliff Richard. There's a there's a bad company song, there's the chain by Fleetwood Mac. That the Fleetwood Mac drop I actually really I, liked. Yeah. That one was really good again for the the timing of the scene and how she's like gathering everything in her house before she goes out and tries to get to the truck for the media circuit. And that happens when the chorus drops. So like timing wise, I, I really like that. And again, tone, it is kind of this like mysterious kind of like broken emotionally kind of kind of feel to it. But like barracuda by heart is an interesting choice really the uh spirit in the sky is just like "Ah, please stop please don't use that again they use free your mind at one point yeah which was was just like uh, okay like i like in vogue but like what are we doing it's really standing out in this soundtrack here as the one kind of like soulful like r&b song and it's like i I think around that time and maybe we've gotten a 
away from it a little bit is there was this concept of hey middle-aged people this is your stuff Uh don't you want to watch this because like with all the marvel movies they played so heavily on Uh that particular audience of like hey this content i know it's different for you but the music we got you yeah uh uh-huh which again is the spirit in the sky thing because that was used heavily in guardians of the galaxy Say what you want about that first Guardians movie, but that was kind of the one real negative that I think that that movie had is like the soundtrack was such a selling point and brought a lot of those songs like Hooked on a Feeling and Come and Get Your Love like back into the popular consciousness. Those are great songs, but, you know, then they get overplayed and they're like because they're popular and it's like, okay, I'm starting to hear this everywhere. And that's one thing. But then when it starts to get into every movie as trying to be this like artistic choice, then it's like, no, I'm just you're just play you're just turning the radio up while i'm watching this like you know this movie so it's like why like you have talented people working on this movie and like there are moments where like an actual score is playing and it it sounds pretty good but like there's just so many other choices that they could have done for songs and it's sometimes it's just like peter peter nashville did the score and did all of the the music um coordination it's just like sometimes i'm really really working like it really works for me and other times like a ZZ top song plays and as much as I love it feels like the first time by foreigner is like, it's too much. If I wanted the eighties to now I'd get in my car. And look again, I love foreigner, but in that moment, because that's when she lands the triple axle and she's like, I was loved. And it's like, I get it. Like I, I, I got it. You know, I'm again, I'm on the same page as you like, just, chill just a little bit the rest of the movie you can go crazy as crazy as you want but this is a just like a, a, a dash too much in yeah. my opinion it's a little kitschy where it's like uh eh, I, I yeah it's on mm-hmm. the nose we're with you yeah <laughs> it's like she just landed something that no one has in competition i don't need foreigner to be like <laughs> <laughs> don't you know <laughs> do you have any other critical stuff or do you want to move into analysis no i'm good with the analysis all right let's head in to analyze this I mean, this is a movie that, again, adding to the uh, the excessive nature of the story, it's going to be very upfront about what it's trying to tell you, which, again, I find very interesting as to why people thought this was totally siding with Tanya, because I, I, I don't really think that it is, again, because it is bending and twisting the truth, like it clearly is sympathizing with Tanya, but like the thesis statement of the movie is very much just like upfront by the end of it yeah. being like, you know, People like Americans want someone to love, but they want someone to hate even more. And it's like, I can't disagree with that. You know, (laughs) like continuing on what we were talking about earlier about like news outlets were like this, this, you know, beer drinking, you know, cigarette smoking. People like having someone to hate. And that's why that's poignant as to that image of, you know, shifting from them to the OJ trial. That energy is carried over into, you know, even something even more massive, you know? And so I think it's pretty clear in that sense, also not condoning the story, but I still find it like effective that the, the movie, you know, hits those emotional beats of her losing her ability to skate in like, uh, in any U S whatever the acronym is as a, as a skater or as a coach, you can see that just like break her down and that's incredibly effective. And I'm like, yeah, that does suck because I just watched her, you know, 
basically tell me that this is her entire life. And Sebastian Stans says in this, this three month period, just like everything fell apart. You know, just that span of a couple months, our lives were completely ruined. And I find that very effective. And I, I agree that it's like, it's very easy for us to then put the hate face on Tanya Harding as being the, the orchestrator or the main perpetrator behind this attack. When obviously that was, not necessarily the case you know what i mean yeah I, what i appreciate about this movie is that you know you have to try and tell a story that hasn't been told yet yeah we have i'm sure all the information on how nancy kerrigan felt and what her life was like after yeah and i appreciate that it, it doesn't spend a lot of time on the actual incident it happens there's you know, this tone of like, oh, where she, when's she going to compete again? Can she compete again? Mm -hmm. But it goes back to, you know, now this is following Tanya Harding. How mm -hmm. does that affect her life? Yeah. I appreciate uh -huh. that direction because like I said, you have to find the narrative that hasn't been told yet. Yeah. It would have been very strange if this whole movie was from Nancy Kerrigan's perspective, because right. then it would have just been I feel like it would have been just completely sympathetic or attempting to be sympathetic and like, oh, feel bad for me. Like I was the best figure skater and then this happened. And it's like, yes, obviously what happened to her was terrible. But like this, I think it would have been so much more sappy and so much more like emotionally, like really trying to pull you over. Like, isn't this awful? Like, it's like, that's not interesting. Like, or that's just disconnected. Yeah, disconnected is a good word. See Elvis. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that at some point. Yeah, but it's just, you know, that's like kind of brought a perspective that wasn't needed and then asked for sympathy where again wasn't needed or wanted mm -hmm. i'm just glad that they didn't falter to that yeah. because again that is kind of the the safe zone mm -hmm. of let's go with the person who everybody already feels bad for yeah for sure and the movie also does like kind of touch on like again with i think in the middle of um her triple axle she kind of cuts in and is like can i just say Nancy Kerrigan and I were friends like there's no like we didn't hate each other. And then there's that like quick cutaway of them like smoking and like drinking in the uh, in in the hotel room. But like Nancy Kerrigan isn't really a character in this movie. No. And I think that's fine because the act that sent that is centered around her, you get enough sympathy and uh, like as an audience member, you feel enough sympathy for her just by seeing that happen. You're like, yeah, that's awful. I that 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 is really awful and I'm sure that that was an incredibly traumatic experience and that was the one of the if not the most formidable moment in your life I totally side with you that's yeah. fine I don't need to see this whole backstory for you like I I don't and the movie understands that Tanya Harding is just a much more interesting character to kind of peel back the the layers a little bit now I'm not saying that there can't be you know movies about people in kind of uh, prestigious positions in artistry like you know tar came out last year and that movie was incredible but this movie aids itself by being like this story is actually like pretty fucking nuts so yeah. like let's get people who are real characters like this movie is full of characters even someone like her coach diane i think is her name like is the only is like bridging the gap between the two of them right, right? between the lower class uh quote unquote like white trash into this world of figure skating and she has even this better motherly quality you know to her and it's it is kind of an unfortunate moment when she fires her um but 
even her, like even she's an interesting character yeah. to watch. It's like, what does she, what does she see in Tanya? What is her angle on this? How does she bring, you know, the standards of the world of figure skating and then make it so Tanya can be successful in yeah. this world? And that's really fascinating to watch. And I, that actress is really good. I, I can't remember who, uh, who plays her, but I was, I was really, really enjoying her performance. Oh, it's Julianne, Julianne Nicholson. That's right. Who plays, uh, Diane Rawlinson. Um, she also has a couple moments where she talks to the camera. Like when she's training, she's like, she did this and this yeah, and this it's like, neat. Okay. <laughs> cool. I guess like, but they, I'm glad that they didn't take the, the approach of she's doing her a favor by mm-hmm. being her coach. Because again, they already give you this very glaring theme of like, we don't want her in this world, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like you said, to have that gap of, okay, you know, she's the, the medium in between Tanya's world and the skating world of the elite, you know, yeah. it's not a sense of like, well, I, I guess mm-hmm. I'll allow you into this. You know, yeah. I guess I'll take you on for sure. And, but like, you can clearly see that she sees something in her, like she's pretty much affected like early on in that first scene when she's like, I don't, I don't train people this young. And then she, and then her mom's like, go skate you know yeah. <laughs> she doesn't she's like oh shit you know she's got she's got some talent and yeah. and that's an interesting relationship and it's all it is very um you know it is nice when she comes back and is like you know they changed the olympics to two years instead of four and i want to help you and you know that's it's a good character it's a good you know uh mentor character for uh for tanya even though her real mentor figure in the story like just from a narrative perspective is her mother right and you know just the damage and the you know black-heartedness of that character and how that is really affecting her is is way more interesting than i don't know if nancy kerrigan had you know i'm sure you know she had encountered figures like her um before and you know the world of figure skating i'm sure is not uh unsusceptible to toxicity yeah so i'm sure there's something there but like that is just a way more straightforward narrative than I think what this movie is going for. And I, we have kind of uh, talked about this a little bit. Um, and we just recently uh, released an episode on the social network and we talked about it here. But like, does it bother you in this case when, you know, a, a movie is clearly taking something that was highly publicized? Everyone had an opinion on it. Everyone kind of had the same opinion on it. Yeah. But like everyone had that opinion and is trying to twisting what is reality and what is, you know, factual. Do you find that that is uncomfortable or does it work for you here? I mean, it works for me personally. Mm -hmm. There's obviously two sides to every coin. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to look at the other end of it. You know, I I think there's a a healthy amount of perspective that you can get from it. Does it mean your opinion's going to change? No, it's entirely Mm -hmm. up to you. You know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. again, your interpretation on the whole event is left strictly to yourself. But Mm -hmm. I I do think that it's important in some cases to sit down and go, well, I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Will this change my perspective on the entire thing? Right. Yeah. And I've said before that like, it depends on the movie. And I think that for the most part, like, I don't have a personal problem when they 
change facts for drama because like you know you're making a movie you gotta make you gotta make it a movie you know so I, yeah. I understand that you know but I think it works in this movie because the position it's trying to take is not like this they're not saying like this is a document you know clearly there's a lot more going on than we'll ever know but for a movie structuring it this way it makes it way more emotionally compelling and entertaining than just being like this is what happened on this day, then this day, then this day, then this day. And that would just be kind of boring, you know, and I bet that all of these people have completely different conflicting opinions because, you know, they come from areas where and just a mindset and a and a lifestyle and, you know, a uh, like just a worldview of like, I don't want to be in the wrong. I don't want to admit to any of this. Like I am trying to save myself. You know, and so that is where the real compelling stuff comes from. And I think it like totally works for this movie. And it's it's so entertaining and it's just it's so funny. But the performances like are all fantastic. It's not schlocky. It's not hokey. It did. This feels like a real movie, like so much effort was put into this. And I I really appreciate like all of just like how good the movie looks and how clearly passionate everyone was to make like you feel it you know on screen that everyone is really trying and they cared about this story I mean it's honestly one of my favorite of the genre and it's not like again I'm not the biggest sports movie fan but this doesn't lead with like the triple axle is cool and it, and it I mean it is but that's not the main focus right here, right we we're this is an interesting character study which I really love all right well it's time to answer the final question uh, as always for this series, instead of asking why we love this movie, we are asking what can we learn about real life from this movie? So, Lexi, what do you take away about real life from I, Tanya? Holy hell, what can't you learn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's the glaringly obvious, like, you need to separate yourself from dangerous people. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. you know, it's it's like if you notice something off about somebody, get the hell out. Otherwise, yeah. uh-huh. there are consequences to your actions. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's this undertone of how ugly Olympic-related fame can be. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's... Because we put Olympians on such a pedestal, right? Yeah. You know, uh-huh. they're these perfect, talented people, but you don't really get the the perspective of how ugly life can be when they go home. You know, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. you get the medal or you don't. And then what happens to them next? Yeah. I think that this is just like, it's not always glitz and glamour and smiles 24 seven. Sometimes it's going home and getting your face shoved into a broken <laughs> mirror. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the world of sports in general is like, they're again, turning that, that narrative on its head in this movie of being like, it's not just a world of constant support and like the coach being like, Hey, you got to believe in yourself, man. Like, it's yeah. just like very toxic and very, it's a business, you know? And so they're, they're looking for a specific person and a type of image to promote and looking for the next celebrity in that sense. And so that can really fuck with people. And I think that is one of the most truthful things about the movie is that it like, that is a clear aspect in Tanya Harding's life that, she came from some, you know, environment that was completely different than what they were looking for that psychologically, you know, completely affected her and, you know, aided in her intentions or her motivations for pushing herself forward and doing what she did. And so that is, you know, unfortunate to see. And then, you know, it's even more unfortunate when she's just back at the diner. No one gives a shit about her. And it's like, that's, 
that's hard to grapple with. And so, you know, I also think this is a big like kind of like check your privilege movie in, yeah. a, in a way where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really grateful. That's not my mother. Like, yeah. I'm very grateful that I come from an area where like there's a lot of support and uh, some safety. And I, I greatly um, acknowledge that and and accept that. And I do feel a lot of sympathy for people who grew up and are living in horribly abusive scenarios um and it's again what makes the movie so emotionally effective is you're like how could you not relate or maybe not relate but like how could you not feel for someone like that and so it is kind of a I know using the term privilege now is kind of a like a, a trigger word for some people but it, it is very much like oh wow I'm very lucky to right. have grown up in the area that I did. And I'm also grateful that my mother was not, or anyone in my life was a overbearing, like living vicariously through me sports nut or forcing me to do something that I didn't, you know, want to do. I mean, clearly Tanya liked figure skating and that was her whole life, but like it could have been something else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you know, it's kind of the idea of you could have it all physically, Yeah, but lack in every other department because I couldn't help but think, you know, I sort of settled into the role of mediocrity as far as competitive gymnastics went uh -huh. and had nothing but pure support from my parents. You know, my dad was the first one to be shouting at the balcony, like all about it. Meanwhile, I get, eh, you know, middle of the road scores mm -hmm. and they didn't have a problem with it. My parents were never like, you suck. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. like me with podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, so thank you, as always, Lexi. We're chugging along on the in the real world series here. Um, you want to tell people where they can follow us on social media? Uh, at Frankly, I Love Movies uh -huh. on Instagram. Same thing on Facebook. Yep, that's right. And uh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd at Big Walls 21 for all recent movie reviews, if you so choose. Uh, and also be sure to check us out on social media because we will be posting uh, the next clue to what our uh, next episode will be. And uh, let me just say, it's a doozy. So until next time, I'm Josh Wall. And I'm Lexi Cutmore. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love true stories.